0: of these issues that you touch on about infertility, about body autonomy and gender and motherhood and nursing and our view of ourselves and the world and that context, all that stuff that you touch on, they're all so deeply intertwined within us, not only in society, but within us.
1: Welcome to what you didn't expect in fertility, pregnancy, and birth. How we think and feel about this enormous transition often lives in the gap between what we expected and what we actually experienced. This gap exists in part because of how we tend to talk about and portray these events on all kinds of media. In a more or less one-dimensional way, everything was amazing, but it's more often the case that there are beautiful things that happen and at the same time, really challenging things that happened. This show shares true experiences, both the easy parts and the difficult parts, and how we managed what we didn't expect with the goal of shifting the common cultural narrative to a more realistic one. It also celebrates the incredible resilience and strength it takes to create another person and release that new person from your body into the world. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenika. I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls, and I met many, many challenges in this process, none of which I expected. In today's episode, I finished my conversation with Leia Lax, author of the memoir, Uncovered, which tells the story of her entrance and exit from an insular religious community. Her story illustrates some of the powerful ideas around what it means to be a mother and a woman in particular societies, and how those ideas shape our expectations and behavior. We talk about how the abortion she had both saved and fundamentally changed her life, how this choice was the spark for her ability to change her circumstances. We pick up where we left off last week, Leah needs her doctor to tell the rabbi that the pregnancy is life-threatening in order to get permission for an
0: abortion. This is what the doctor said. The first thing she said was, my father is a minister. I don't believe in abortion. I don't perform abortions. And I would perform yours because I think it's that important. And I thought, you have the flexibility and the autonomy and the choice in your religion. Why don't I? Yeah. And then when she spoke to the doctor, she just said, I recommend this for her health and for her safety. I don't know the future, but I'm making a medical recommendation. And it, okay. and it worked. But before I knew that, I went home and sat down with my husband and told him, look, I'm pregnant again. He said, oh, thank God. And I said, not this time. When I told him I needed abortion, he blew up and he said he would have to divorce me. And I broke down. Okay. Did he not see
1: you on the couch wheezing every night? He did. He did. And he thought,
0: what's the thinking process that goes with that? She's fine? I can't tell you what he thought. I can tell you that when he said, I would have to divorce you, I became hurt and angry for the very first time. I came out of my numbness. And I said, you would let me die. And, and then I broke down and I said, okay, I'll have the baby. If Losing you means losing all of my children. Then losing my children is a more sure way to die. And it, it touched something in he broke down and he said, no, 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 no. I, I don't want that. And so we decided together to ask the rabbi. Okay. And only then we called. Okay.
1: So, so, so we're we'll all take a breath here because this is unbelievably stressful. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad that the doctor was on your side. You probably had the feeling the doctor's on my side. She sees it the way I see it. So that's one pillar of stability. And it sounds like your husband has come around. So that's. Came around and I had the abortion. Yes. Do you have feelings about the abortion? Some kind of religious, political, I've done something I shouldn't be doing or you're confident in it?
0: It changed my entire life. First of all, the rabbi said, do the abortion, but don't ever tell anybody. And that's why I always tell the story. (laughs) Why don't tell anybody? Because of the great scandal it would create in the community because most people didn't believe abortion was right. And it would create a scandal for him as well.
1: Even, Even if
0: we think there's life risk. I thought that's our way out. Right. Okay, because so- of way it's become politicized.
1: Okay, so it's not really a way out because people aren't
0: willing to use it. Right. Okay. It, because it will risk their reputation, their standing, that it, it could risk their marriage, it could risk everything. Okay. So There was that. But then there was this issue. I realized that if the rabbi said no, I was going to have the abortion anyway, I would find a way. If I lost my husband, if I lost my marriage, my standing in the community, if I had to run away and start my whole life over, I was going to do it because I was that determined to live and not die. And I would have it changed everything for me. I was in a religious community that basically tries to keep women passive. Yeah. And I was never going to be passive again. So
1: let's just talk about a hypothetical. Let's imagine the rattle did not say yes. Then your plan is to go do it anyway and just act like you had a miscarriage.
0: Oh, I didn't take it that far because I would have to recover afterwards. I assumed I would be found out. Okay. I didn't think I could cover it up. Okay. I was ready to take all the consequences if that's what it took. Okay. It turned me into a fierce person. Well, uncovered your fierceness.
1: Yes, maybe. <laughs> so when you go to have the abortion, do you
0: feel relief when it's over? or what's the I feeling? grieved. I grieved that this change in my life. I grieved the fact that I couldn't grieve for the baby. I could never think of it as a baby. And that shocked me because I, I had been so sensitized to babies. I grieved that I was never going to have another. I grieved a lot of stuff. And I had to do it alone because the rabbi had said, never talk about it. My husband took that literally as he did everything that had to do with religion and law. And he was grieving too. And we never talked about it. He would not. It came between us.
1: Yeah, that's really hard. That's really hard. So then you had to go through it by yourself mm-hmm. is what it sounds like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That sounds really hard too. In silence.
0: Yeah. But it changed me. I I understood, at the end of the day, I said, nobody could prove what was going to happen with my body. Only I could. I knew it wasn't a healthy pregnancy. Nobody else could prove it. I knew it would hurt me. Nobody else could prove it. I still feel, I will always believe that I could have died. And I didn't need statistics or doctors or rabbis or approval or religion or anything. This was my choice. And so it changed me politically, too, because I felt that this is such a fraught and complex decision, so deeply entwined with a woman's faith, her body autonomy, her sense of identity as a mother or as a woman or her sense of her future. There's so many complex factors in my mind at the time. I said, this is between a woman and God and nobody else. What does the government have to do with your faith? With your relationship with God, so it it just utterly changed me. Yeah,
1: and I'm guessing it also changed your view of abortion and and who gets an abortion. And if you look at statistics now, the majority of people getting abortions are people with kids already. So it's not so much it's not so much a careless night of sex. It's like something happened, and they're worried about how it will affect the kids they have already, right? Or or their health, or something else, right? It's just a different, much more complicated circumstance. So here are some demographic details about abortion. 60% of women who get an abortion already have children. Almost 50% of abortion patients live below the poverty line. So maybe more kids in the family are not affordable. Roughly one in four women will have an abortion by age 45. And 93% of abortions happen in the first trimester.
0: I mean, just to jump to where I am now, it, it, it took a couple of years, but I allowed myself to fall in love. I got a divorce, left the community, came out as a lesbian. I've been living very happily with my wife for 18 years, the great love of my life. My children have had to come to terms with that. I've fought hard to keep an ongoing relationship with them. And I'm going on 16 grandchildren. Wow. They all, they all call me Bubby. <laughs> Wow. So so that's a lot. Let's go a little slowly through some of this.
1: So you have the abortion. What happens next? I assume you're on birth control now
0: forever. I didn't trust birth control. And I insisted at the time that the rabbi approved the abortion, that he also approved a tubal ligation. And And that
1: was that was agreed upon and then done.
0: It was agreed upon and done at the time of the DNC. Okay. good. And then
1: it sounds like the, your attempt to get, to regain autonomy over your body created a shift in you. And is that what you point to as a powerful factor in changing the state of your marriage, the dynamics in your marriage?
0: I think it changed my entire life. Yeah. Everything, my marriage, my view in life, everything. So how long between that abortion and the next major change
1: in your life, which I assume is uh, leaving your husband?
0: Well, I I kind of fell in love and had an affair with a woman before I left my husband.
1: So how does that, how, you're awakened to this idea, or you're noticing that you've had
0: this for a long time, or how does that happen? You know, I think that's one of the reasons I called you, is because all of these issues that you touch on about infertility, about body autonomy, and gender, and motherhood, and nursing, and our view of ourselves and the world and that context, all that stuff that you touch on, they're all so deeply intertwined within us, not only in society but within us. And after I could sleep at night, after my preemie grew enough and that I was actually getting sleep at night for a while, I started to pay attention to those erotic lesbian dreams and they became really intense and very frequent, and I didn't bury it anymore. I just looked in the mirror one day and said, this is you. And once I had that shift and that recognized shift in identity, I would go to the synagogue, for example, and look at all my dear friends on the women's side of the divide during services and go, you are my sisters, you are my family, and if one of you knew who I really am, you'd pull your children to your skirts and keep them away from me because Because the the mother protecting her children because the hasidic religion does not allow for people to be gay does not allow for people to be gay period and although the hasidic world like the whole world has had to come to terms with homosexuality much more in the last say 10 years this was not this that was not the case then and with some like as written in the bible that's
1: where this is coming from
0: that's a hilarious thing is that there's nothing against female homosexuality in the Bible at all. Okay. But it didn't matter politically, yeah. like socially not accepted.
1: So the person you're having an affair with is also in the community? No.
0: Okay. Someone I became enamored with and went and found her. She became my friend that I used to go visit. And uh, we had a pretty passionate affair. She was my sort of entry level relationship. And was she aware of her sexuality? Oh, totally. Okay.
1: Okay. So this is a good place to start. Right. right? You're with someone who is confident in their own sexual identity. Yes.
0: And at the same time, she had children and she had been divorced. She had married a man, had children, had been divorced. And she was really crazy about her kids so she understood that aspect it wasn't either or we were lesbians who had children which also wasn't common then yeah here
1: i'll include two brief passages from leah's book about the affair she writes jane has done nothing just changed me so that if i thought i could stay in this sheltered place or remaining newly conscious i was wrong Jane has done nothing, just made me admit I'm an alien in my own home, so that now it feels unreal to wake in the morning, prepare a meal, empty the dishwasher as if I've been violently displaced by someone else. Jane does nothing, just wakes up in the morning at her place and pads alone in her own kitchen for morning coffee, then to the shower where she lets beads of hot water rain down on supple skin. The kids speak and I can't hear. Food swirls in my stomach without feeding this hunger. I stop eating after a few bites. I can't function, can't think. And then she writes, another day, another midnight, I edge open the back door and try to make sure it doesn't creak. I put the car into neutral and slide down the drive with the driver's side door ajar. Once in the street, I ease the door closed and start the motor so that I could be anyone. Passing car that stalled, a Hasidic mother escaping to her lesbian lover. Biting my lip, foot on the pedal. There's the crisp night air, nostrils flared, rub of seemingly superfluous clothes on heightened skin, the motor vibrating up my legs and spine and humming through my seat, cold hard wheel on my palms. I glide through the sleeping Hasidic neighborhood like a reptile, narrowed eyes trained on dark empty streets looking for betrayal, propelled by a body scream. My family shrinks to a pinpoint behind me and blinks out. So you have this affair, and that is, I'm assuming, transformative. Yes. And then how do you step out of the relationship with your husband? That seems tricky to keep the kids and lose the husband. Oh,
0: I got found out. I got outed. Yeah. Uh, Well, first there were rumors in the community, and... I want to say that in any community where everybody aspires to be the same, where variety isn't the ideal at all, in fact the opposite, then everybody, any way that you deviate from the norm, the community as a whole will try to pressure you back in the right path. Gossip is huge, and gossip is scary. Gossip is powerful in those communities. You know now if someone tells a neighbor down the street that i'm a lesbian what do i care yeah but in that kind of in that kind of environment it it can threaten your whole st- life stability. so all these rumors started and not unbeknownst to me there were actually people who followed me people who took pictures all kinds of stuff and eventually and then my kids started gossiping among themselves but they wouldn't tell their father And eventually people came to their father. And I'm oblivious to all this, right? Because I'm having the time of my life. And he sent me down and accused me of having an affair. But he didn't say you're having an affair. He said you're having lesbian sex with that woman. Something I wasn't going to deny. And it was over. It was really time for me to leave. And so that's a a
1: pretty giant reckoning because not only do you leave him, but you leave that community, right? I assume...
0: There's no divorce in in the community, or there is? There is. There has always been divorce in Judaism. In the course of that relationship, I was taking baby steps on a regular basis out of my habit of, you know, keeping kosher laws, only wearing skirts. I was trying out things, trying out uncovering my hair, trying out wearing pants, trying out going to restaurants. It's hilarious, but sad. I was an adult. I was in my forties already. And I didn't know how to order something in a restaurant. I didn't know how to figure tax and tip that I wasn't totally not acculturated. I grew up in a bubble. You know, like, remember that stupid series, Kami Schmidt? Yes. I yes. could not laugh at it. <laughs> Too close to home. Too close to home. Okay. It, it was like that. So I had a lot of growing up to do. But I, was, I was losing my faith. I had lost my faith. I mean, what had to happen was I had to come to a strong enough sense of myself, apart from motherhood, that I said, if you don't believe in me, then I don't believe in you, because I know I exist. If my religious community did not believe I should be who I am, then they were the wrong place for me to be. But I had to become strong enough to see that. And I had to say that to my religion as a whole. I'm a a very a religious person today. Not, not surprisingly. So when you
1: decide you're going to get a divorce, what's happening with the kids? I'm concerned about what's going to happen with you and the kids, since that has been a driving force for you for so long.
0: We live in Houston and it was just after the Bush administration, he had just come back to Houston to settle. And the lawyer said, we live in the heart of bush country. There is not a, a judge in 50 miles that will give you give you custody of those children. Three of them were still teenagers. The two younger younger ones were boys. And anyway, the judge had a tendency to give in, in custody situation, give boys to their father. And my boys didn't want to come. They said, you want us to leave our home and our community? It's enough that Our parents aren't married anymore. Why should we move into a little apartment with you? And I had no money. Yeah. Again, I was weak. Today I would fight like hell, but I didn't.
1: Well, I'm not sure I see it the way you do. I mean, you're saying you're weak, but how many choices do you have?
0: Maybe I didn't have choices. I wanted them to know that I had fought for it. Yeah. Yeah because they didn't even abide by the custody agreement. They never came to my house. They never came to sleep in my home, I mean. So I had that huge adjustment to motherhood. But the whole time I was listening, I thought, you know, these babies, you don't know how they're going to grow. You don't know where they're going to go. The path they take, the path your lives take together is, is such you know, is intrinsic to this story. Yeah. All this stuff
1: is wrapped up and the motherhood that you grow into Mm -hmm. is in some ways universal, right? We all pick our own path, but once you've had those kids, that will good Lord willing be your longest relationship. Right. Right. With anyone. Right. It's relevant. I think, and interesting to ask, how do those things develop? Mm Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like it took some
0: adjustment, but you are all at a good place now. I think we're at a much better place. Yeah, some of them remain. My life gave my children permission. They would probably argue with that and say, no, they gave themselves their own permission. But uh, certainly I offered a role model in, in bodily autonomy and making choices. Some of my kids are Hasidic and some are not. And some are married to Jews, some are not. Not all are coupled. And they've made their own choices. They've remained close to one another and and not judgmental of one another.
1: In our book, Leah writes about this new equilibrium with her kids. She writes, As to my children, I have to say, in the end, it was the hiding and the lies that went with it telling myself that I did it to shield my children and protect their religious life. That struck them the deepest blow. After all, I was their Hasidic mother, their icon of faith and loyalty. They trusted me. When I finally told them everything, I found this. We all know many things about our mothers, fundamental things that our mothers never enunciated. That I'm a lesbian, not one of my children was surprised. It took time, but I didn't give up. My kids still need me, probably always will, and I them. Today I am, I hope, a steady presence in their lives.
0: And my Hasidic kids have a a, a bubby who doesn't cover her hair, who's openly a lesbian, who shows up at their home in blue jeans. This is outrageous, really. But I scoop babies up in my arms when I come. So... All of that I believe came from finally having the courage to to take control, just to be able to survive. I don't think I would have gotten there if I hadn't had the experience first of just following the rules about pregnancy and childbirth that were placed on me, or the communal expectation or the social expectation, until I understood how I was different from that and what I needed. I mean, it's
1: an amazing story, and I so appreciate you sharing it with us, and I am looking forward to reading the book. Will you tell me what the name is again?
0: It's called Uncovered, How I Left Hasidic Life and Finally Came Home. It was made into, it, it was a runner-up for like five different awards. <laughs> New York Library pick, it was made into an opera, into an opera that premiered in New York City. Wow. March of this year by composer Lori Lightman. I hope it'll be performed again. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'll definitely
1: put the link in the show notes so people can find it. People who haven't already found it.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I, I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for taking that little ride with me.
1: <laughs> Thanks to Gendalea for sharing her amazing story. The fact that she experienced sexual identity, womanhood, love, and motherhood in two very different social settings highlights the exceedingly powerful cultural stories that shape our expectation and experience and the difference between them. Her memoir includes other angles on her experiences. She writes about the family she came from and her personal experience of faith and much more. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can check it out. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.